Well, what a terrific question. Mary, did you know? Certainly, Mary uh, was aware that God was up to something extraordinary and something special. And that's what we're getting at tonight when we're talking about what is the heart of Christmas. The heart of Christmas is a sense of confirmation. It's a sense of confirmation that God is and that God's at work. And that God is at work in loving, redemptive, saving kinds of ways. A lot of it still being a mystery to us. We don't know all that's going to transpire. Mary had no idea all that was transpire. But she knew that God was up to something extraordinary and something special. Do you know that? You see, if we're not careful, the whole story of Christmas can be just that. It can be a story. Once upon a time, in a town called Bethlehem, a young girl gave birth to a child named Jesus. What we're declaring tonight and what we are affirming tonight is that this is no fable. This is no legend. This is no myth. But that this is based in history. That this had eyewitnesses that saw God at work in the ways that are unfolded in the Gospels. Is the message of Christmas true? Did a virgin really conceive? Did God really incarnate himself? And take flesh upon himself and become a man? Become one of us? These are no small questions. For even if you have an appreciation for Jesus and for the teachings of Jesus and the moral code and behaviors of Jesus, I would contend with you tonight that that's not enough. Some of you are familiar with the writings of C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis says you, you can't have it that way. You can't say... Well, I don't know about the divinity of Jesus and and the uh, ultimate saving work of Jesus. I just know he was a good teacher. He was a good man. I I appreciate the morality and the, uh, the code of life that he esteemed. Lewis says you can't say that. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else he is a madman or something worse. In recent days, our world said goodbye to famed atheist. Christopher Hitchens. Believe it or not, Hitchens totally agrees with C.S. Lewis at this point. Hitchens said, if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was a Christ and Messiah and that he rose from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. In other words, you can't just think well of Jesus and dismiss all of the claims to his divinity, to his being the only way to God, to his being the Savior. Now, here's the difference between Lewis and Hitchens. Lewis believed it with all his heart. Hitchens rejected it with all his heart. But what they did agree upon was you can't play around with the person and the message and the mission of Jesus in some kind of mushy, unclear way. You either fall on one side of it or another. And so I'm asking you tonight, because I know you're about to go and do some celebration. You're about to enjoy some time with family or friends. There may be some exchanging of gifts. You mark this time in some kind of memorable way. But do you really believe it? Have you staked your life on it? How can one know if Christmas is true? 
How can you really know that? Well, God is sympathetic to the challenges that come with faith, to the challenges that come with belief. He has for centuries acted toward us in extraordinary ways to bring that sense of confirmation and clarity to us. Even with the coming of the Christ, he gave a sign. You remember how the story goes that there were some shepherds nearby to Bethlehem in the fields at night, keeping watch over their flocks, when an angel appeared and said to them, don't be afraid. I've got some good news for you. And it's good news of great joy for all people. For this day in the city of David, a Savior is born, and he is Christ the Lord. And he told them, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, the angel did not tell the shepherds, so get up and go and see what God has done. The shepherds got enough out of that message that they said, we want to get up and go and see if what we've just heard is true. And see if the sign the messenger said really is there. And so they make their way to Bethlehem. And sure enough, there's Joseph. There's Mary. There's the newborn babe in a manger, a feeding trough, wrapped in cloths that swaddled him. Now, as you're thinking about that, did the shepherds need a sign? Why does God give signs? Why does God do extraordinary things? Why would God do miracles? Is God some kind of show off? Hey, look at me. Look at what I can do. Or is it that you matter so much to him? He wants to make sure you get it. Miracles. Mighty acts. Deeds, the extraordinary, the supernatural. We're told in the books of Acts, chapter 2, verse 22, when Peter addressed the people of the surrounding countryside, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. See, Peter calls for them to come to grips with, who is this man? He was attested to you by a variety of miraculous, extraordinary, mighty works, wondrous deeds. He did that so you would believe. Now, why does he do miracles? Well, certainly part of what he's doing is as he's expressing his love to us, he's meeting needs. And so you pray, God, would you help? And he helps. God, would you heal? And he heals. God, would you guide? And he guides. He cares about you. He meets needs. And certainly part of it is to glorify himself. It's important that we're able to know who he is and what he's like and to find him, to be able to see him. And we see him as he glorifies himself. But not just enough to see him, not just enough to acknowledge him, but we must come to a point of belief. And so the miraculous, the extraordinary, is done by God as divine help 
to our faith. Now, there is a long history of this, a long chronology of God doing these kinds of things. I'm just going to hit two or three real quickly as we're going to just cruise through the Gospel of John. Some have referred to the Gospel of John as the book of signs because what John does in his Gospel is give sign after sign after sign after sign that Jesus did to point to who Jesus is to lead to belief. first one begins at a wedding. And you may recall that Jesus' mother was at the wedding, and these weddings in those days went on for several days, and they would eat and they would drink and they would make merry for a long time. And at this particular wedding in Cana of Galilee, they ran out of wine. And Jesus' mother comes up and says, help. And Jesus is like, me? Now? You think this is the right time for me to do this kind of thing? And she says, help. And so Jesus calls for some servants, some attendants, to go and fill these six water pots that held somewhere between 20 and 30 gallons each. A lot of water for cleansing purposes. And he said, fill those things to the brim. And they did. And they said, draw some out and take it to the master of the, the banquet. And they did. And when he drank it, it was no longer water, but it had turned to wine. And what we're told in the scripture is that this, the first of his signs... Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples, what? Believed. So this wasn't just a matter of, oh, gee, you can't have a party without wine. But there was something way more substantive and significant that was going on at that part. So not only do we see these things taking place at a wedding, but we also see it taking place at a well with a woman. A couple of pages over in John's Gospel, you Recall that there was a woman who went out to the well in the middle of the day to draw some water when nobody else was around and Jesus just happened to be there. He engages her in a conversation. He says, would you give me a drink? She's like, why would you ask me to give you a drink? I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. You're a Jew. We don't usually have anything to do with each other. And he says to her, but if you knew who I am, You'd be asking me for a drink because the drink I would give, you would never thirst again. She's like, oh, are you a prophet or something? And she engages him in a little religious banter. And Jesus at that point just kind of put a stop to it all by saying, hey, why don't you just call your husband here and let's talk? And she was like, oh, well, um, I don't have a husband. And he's like, I know, you've had five. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband. And now she's blown away. How do you know all these things about me? And she began to believe. And she runs off to the nearby town. And she begins to tell everyone, come see this man who knew everything about me. Can this be the Christ? And so he starts to work in her midst in such a way that she can believe. She goes and tells others, and they come out. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Well, and then you come to the part where Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for his death and his departure. John 14. He says, don't let your heart be troubled about these. I'm about to go away. But where I am, you're going to know where that is. And you're going to be able to come where I am and be with me where I am. And Thomas is like, I don't get what you're talking about. I doubt it. 
And then Philip speaks up and he says, you know what? Just simplify this. If you just show us the Father, we'd be satisfied. And Jesus said to Philip and to all, have I been with you such a long time? And yet you don't know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You have evidence to believe me. You can believe it because you've come to know me as a trustworthy person and I'm telling you so. But if that's not good enough, then believe by all the works that you've seen me do, all the miracles that you've seen me do. And then one more thing that I'll mention to you is what I would call the watershed. For Jesus enters into the temple precinct at the time of the Passover for worship. And he is grieved by what he sees when he comes into the precincts because there's all this kind of buying and selling and marketing that's going on in the courtyard. And he cleans house. We sometimes refer to it as cleansing the temple. And he turns over the tables of the money changers and he sets free all these animals that they're trying to sell that are defective, etc. And he says, you shall not make my father's house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, a den of thieves. And some of the Jewish leaders said, wow, you speak like you have a lot of authority. What sign do you show us for doing these things? Are you really as authoritative a person as you're coming off? If so, what sign would you show us? You remember what Jesus said? He said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Now, he spoke a little mysteriously at that point. Some of them immediately began to look at all the brick and mortar around them. and like, it took 46 years to build this place. You're going to have it torn down and rebuilt in three days? Sure. But some of them got it. Verse 23 tells us, they believed. Because they understood he was talking about the temple of his body. Destroy this body. Kill me. And in three days I will rise from the dead. And that is the watershed moment of all the signs that God were ever to do. Because he either died and raised from the dead or he didn't. If he didn't, the Apostle Paul said, forget about it. Let's not play religious games. Let's not be just religious people. But if he did resurrect, if he did raise from the dead, then that changes everything. And your life needs to be bet on that, needs to be built on that, needs to be staked on that. It's the core, it's at the center, it's at the heart of it all. Now, John goes on to say near the end of his book, Jesus did so many signs. I can't even tell you all the signs. I don't have enough space. I don't have enough pages to capture all the signs that Jesus did, which are not written in this book. But I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in him. That's the whole reason I've collected all these signs so that you would believe. Do you believe? Are the signs that God has done in times past sufficient for you? Is the resurrection sufficient for you? 
to move past once upon a time fables, legends, and stories to the core of a Christmas message that says, my life must be built around this. I have a friend that not too long ago I was having a conversation with, and she's the manager of a business, and she really saw another opportunity with a competitor that she wanted. She applied for it. She was doing very well. She moved through a number of interviews and was surpassing a number of other candidates. And finally, it's down to two. And she's telling me all about it. And I said, gosh, why is this so important to you? And she told me some of her financial story. She needed the increase in pay. She needed the additional benefits. And she thought she needed a change of geography from one company to another. So I said, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. And I did. And as I'm praying for her, and she's very capable, and from what I've been able to see of how she works in her workplace, she'd be able to do this other job very well. But I just had this strange sense in my heart. This wouldn't be a good move. I just had this sense in my heart as I was praying for her. This could be a company that might be even detrimental to her well-being. I just had that feeling. I don't think it's all that she thinks is cracked up to be. So I saw her a few days later and told her that. I said, I know you're really hoping that this will happen, but as I prayed for you, I just got this sense that it wouldn't be a good move for you. Maybe God's kind of looking out for you. Well, that didn't register too well with her because she really wanted the job. A couple of days passed. She finally heard they chose the other candidate. It's very disappointing, very disappointing. And, And the next time I saw her, she's telling me that they had chosen the other candidate and how disappointed she was. And I said, but you know what? I still think God was looking out for you. I was praying for you. I think God's still going to provide for you in the ways that you need to be provided for. About a week later, she was having a conversation with someone else in her industry. And they began to talk about this company that she was trying to get on with. And her friend said, oh, you are so glad you didn't get with that company. They kill their people. They work them to death. They, they talk this talk about how they're going to take care of you, and then they don't take care. And she gives this whole story. And my friend was like, whoa, maybe God was looking out for me. Now, friends, I say all that to say this. God's at work all the time. And God's work sometimes is stunning and is so obvious. Other times it is very subtle. And it's very simple and it's very quiet. And if you don't pay attention, it goes right by you and you missed it. But God's doing things around us and in us all the time to confirm with us, not just that he's real, but that he really cares, that we really matter, that he has a plan. That He wants to save and deliver and redeem and restore us to a life that this broken world has ruptured and racked. Do you believe that? That the message of Christmas is 100% true. And of course, that biblical meaning of believe is way more than just intellectually nodding and going, yeah, that's probably true. But it's a truth that is so core to who you are. You build your life around it. 
Have you confirmed that in your heart? This little gathering tonight, as we've sung songs and reflected on the story and reflected on God and considered the Scriptures, friends, it has all been with a purpose to this point right now. If you can say in your heart, you know what, I don't know that I've ever actually really believed it to the point that I've built my life on this, then, friend, this night's for you. This Christmas Eve is about something being birthed in you that hasn't been there before by faith. To have His presence confirmed in you. Would you believe and receive Christ tonight? You say, well, you know, I've heard that kind of religious talk before. I'm not exactly sure what that means. As we unpack that around here, it's pretty simple. It's, it starts with admitting you're a sinner. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I can't be good enough to connect my life with a holy God. And I believe that Jesus is that Savior. And so, therefore, I confess He's Lord. He's Savior. And that means... I will do what He says. I will build my life around Him, not find a way to fit Him into my life. It's a radical difference. And perhaps you're at a point right now where you'd want to settle that faith issue in your heart. And so I want to pray for you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? Let me pray for you. So, Father, you know the heart of every friend in the house tonight. You know the one for whom tonight has been a divine appointment. And I pray that by your spirit, their faith is coming alive. They believe the Christmas story and message. And they commit their life to you tonight as Savior and Lord. And we pray that. In the worthy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. When the service began tonight, you heard it referenced that there is a little connection card attached to your program. This is the time to use that. If you just had a moment with God where something transacted in your heart by faith and you feel like you've come alive to Him in a new kind of way... Why don't you indicate that in the little prayer section on the back of the card? That'll come right to my attention, and I'll pray for you. And if you'd like to have a conversation about anything that we've talked about tonight, I'll be glad to have that conversation with you as it fits your your schedule and, and how you'd like to do it. Phone, email, in person, whatever works for you. It may also be that as we've uh, talked about uh, these matters of the workings of God tonight, you go, you know, I need to freshly commit myself to God in another way. And maybe you want to indicate that. Let us pray for you. It'll be confidential. But use that connection card as a tool to better connect your life to God and let us support you in that. This is also a moment when we're going to worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. If Meadowbrook is your church family and your church home, then you'll want to use this time to worship Him with your gifts And after we've had a moment of offertory and giving ourselves to God, 
we'll be uh, sharing in the Lord's Supper together, and I'll come back and say a word to you about that. So if our ushers will come and receive our offerings and uh, our connection cards, Lord, we dedicate these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.